hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. Before I get started with the show today, I want to mention real quick, I, I've been absent from this show. Uh, I've, I've been on a long hiatus. Some of my listeners know what's been going on. I was going through a very difficult personal time, and now I just want to let everyone know that uh, Type 471 is back. I am back. I am ready to get back to work. The reckoning in consciousness that is Type 471 is well underway and Type 471 podcast is not going anywhere. So we will, we are resuming the show full force. So my guests today are Hannah and Scott Violet. Now these two are full-time Bigfooters and boondockers. They live the RV lifestyle, something I'm very, very interested in. They live off-grid, they go wherever they want, and they squatch it up along the way. I just love it. So Hannah and Scott, Scott and Hannah, welcome to Type 471. How are you folks doing today? We're doing great. Hi, Sam. Hi. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So where in the world might you folks be today? We're actually in eastern Oregon in the Blue Mountains, which is kind of a squatchy spot. Oh, okay. Yeah, it sure is. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourselves, a little bit about your backgrounds. Well, uh, I'm an anthropologist by trade. Uh, I, I worked as a Native American cultural anthropologist. And I traveled all over the United States working with different tribes. Uh, primarily, I worked with the uh, Miwok tribe in Northern California in the Yosemite area. I guess that would be Central California. <laughs> uh, my wife is actually a teacher and a psychologist. <laughs> social worker. Social um, worker. Yeah, I, I studied social work and education and uh, up until 2020 worked in the public education system. Um, but I've got a strong emphasis in research, so that's where I come into it. Great. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Scott, you, you had a Bigfoot experience that, that caused the two of you to kind of focus your professional and personal efforts in the Bigfoot, uh, along the Bigfoot line. I, I, am, I, am I correct about that? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, what really started me on my interest in it was my work with the Native American tribes because every tribe in the nation has a Bigfoot legend and all the tribes I've worked with uh, have. And I, I found some pictographs actually in California and I was talking with the elders of the tribe and I asked them what this meant. You know, I, I was trained to read those and it was a symbol I didn't, I, I didn't know. And I asked the elder there and he said, oh, that's a Bigfoot just kind of, uh, you know, nonchalant off the cuff like yeah like duh you know kind of to me and i was like oh okay um so i started uh delving into uh the native american culture and their history of bigfoot and that really got me interested in it so we uh started a, a website five years ago and uh uh 
Facebook page to try to get some stories uh, where we where we were living at the time, and which was in Northeast Oregon in the Blue Mountains, uh, where we're at now, actually hanging out, you know, where the Freeman film was was filmed. Basically, we're in the same area. Right. And uh, we got a bunch of reports all of a sudden out of the same location from a bunch of people that didn't know each other. So I hit that area pretty hard. And after about, you know, 20 years of research, you know, actually looking into these things, uh, I saw one for the first time. Ah, hmm. And uh, so that after having researched it for so long, that that sighting must have been particularly profound, I would think. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, my wife has a story about that. Yeah. Coming home. Oh, yes, yes, because he had gone out. Um, I was still teaching, and so I didn't have the, the uh, liberty to just go out in the evenings. Uh, I covet my sleep. And so he had gone out with a buddy, at about 4.30 that evening, and I went to bed at my normal time, and he came racing in the house at about 12.31 a.m., threw in all the lights, screaming and hollering and whooping like a Bigfoot. And, <laughs> and I spent the rest of the night looking at his digital his digital pictures, and it was like, well, you know, you, I mean, it was in this frame and not in that frame afterwards and not in the frame before, so... <laughs> You know, and that's probably where I went myself. I went from, yeah, it's a, it's a definite plausible theory to, you know, you, when you see it with your eyes, you see it with your eyes. So, right. And, and that's when I said, okay, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's, we could think about, you know, doing something more with this than just having a casual website. And that's kind of where we started talking. Wow. So how did that actual sighting unfold, Scott? Well, um, we were hiking the area. It was, uh, we were probably about 7,000 feet up in the Blue Mountains. Um, we were hiking along a trail that bordered what they call a watershed area where people aren't supposed to go. We were on the edge of it. We were bordering that area on this trail. And see, when was it? It was in the fall. So anyway, it was kind of drizzling a little bit. It was pretty thick brush, but um, we smelt the smell, actually. And I've heard that smell described, you know, hundreds of times from reports I've got from people, but I'd never experienced it myself. But as soon as I smelt it, I knew exactly what they were talking about. Um, I have smelt coyotes. I've smelt skunks, you know, bears, things like that. Uh, and, but this was a lot worse than that, <laughs> you know. So I told the guy I was with, I, and it's a funny story that he, the guy I was with, was always interested in Bigfoot, and he had never went out looking before, never been out squatching before, and it was his birthday, and his daughter had hooked him up with me, and I had just met him that day uh, to take him out squatching that evening with me. So this was his first day squatching, <laughs> so we, so I, I, I told him. You know, we were scanning the brush trying to figure out where this was coming from. I couldn't really tell. So I said, let's walk up the trail a little bit and see if it would follow us because it was drizzling a little bit. And was So I thought, the you know, the ground was kind of muddy and I hoped if it followed us, we could find footprints. Uh, so we walked a little ways, probably about a couple hundred yards and the smell went away. So we turned around and went back. And when the smell came back, 
and when it was really strong, uh, we stopped there and I was scanning the brush. And so I just did kind of a growl, kind of a, uh, a huff almost. Well, go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, so I want to hear I it. A, I just went, Rrr! just like that. Uh, off in the woods, and then it mimicked me. It actually copied me. It went back at me, Whoa. Uh, almost exactly the same sound. And so uh, that's when when I heard the sound. It's when we were able to look at uh, locate it. It was about 200 feet um, off the side of the uh, the trail we were on. is pretty steep, you know. So we had kind of like uh, almost a vertical to our left, and it was almost vertical to our right going down. And uh, down the hill from us, about 200 yards in this little opening between the brush, I saw this head bobbing side to side looking at me. Wow. Um, so we started snapping pictures. And, of course, my camera kept trying to autofocus on the brush in front of it. So I grabbed the lens and was trying to hold the lens. I heard the gears popping in the autofocus, but I was trying to get the clearest picture I could. And I we only got to see it for about probably three or four seconds uh i may have got three pictures off before well, i heard this whistle uh down the hill and to our left and this turned towards the whistle and walked off down behind the brush when we lost sight of it so we stood there uh kind of in shock for a little while and uh tried to listen to see if we could hear footsteps or if we could hear anything it was kind of breezy through the trees because it was raining and drizzling a little stormy, so we couldn't really hear anything. So we, and it was getting dark. So we sat there probably for another two hours. We, we did some tree knocks and some trying to get some response, but we never got anything after that. Wow. So, yeah. So I came home and so bright and early, sun up the next morning, I was right back in the same spot. And, we were able to go down off the off the hill, and where that thing was standing, we found uh, three nine-inch footprints with three 15-inch footprints next to them. So after shooting lasers through the trees and and measuring everything, we figured out the the one we saw were, was about six feet tall. So I think what whistled off in the woods was mom or dad, and it turned and followed it. And I think we had an encounter with the juvenile. Wow, that's amazing. And you know what? This guy who was with you, his very first day squatching, I'm thinking he should have bought a lottery ticket that day. <laughs> yeah, he should have. <laughs> he really should have. <laughs> that's amazing. And you know, uh, when you when you say that he mimicked that that sound that you made, it it's kind of funny. I know you made the sound first, but it reminds me of something that actually just happened to me just last Thursday. We uh, a, a fellow researcher and I were uh, at a spot um, near my home, and uh, we were advancing into the woods doing tree knocks, and we got knocks from two individuals, um, and then they they were kind of frantically knocking to each other and retreating from us. And um, it turned out that there were more individuals around. We did hear other knocks from other individuals, but I, I also heard a very distinct sound that was very much like the sound that you just described. Now, your situation is a little different in that you made the sound first and the, the individual mimicked you, but I just want to say, like, it's, it's, it's funny that I heard the same sound that you just described just the other day just that kind of ah sound it was it was yeah yeah it's it's, it's interesting huh that just kind of that just kind of struck me for some reason so you obviously still have these pictures i imagine 
Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and is there any chance that I could get a peek at them? I won't share them or anything. I just want to see them. Oh, sure. I can send them to you. Great. I would love that. Yeah, he actually has one of our, on our YouTube channel, one of his videos is, a, you know, a video of, of investigating the site and his basically his scientific analysis of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. So we'll send you we'll send you a link to that too. Yeah, my uh yeah, my archaeology degree comes in pretty handy sometimes. Sure. <laughs> oh yeah, I would imagine. And yeah, and thank you for for sending me that link and making me aware of that. Um yeah, speaking of your archaeology degree, well well I want to get into all that, but first um I want to Talk about just your boondocking lifestyle that you live, even even apart from the Bigfoot part. I just want to discuss that separately for a minute. I, I want you to tell me about your lifestyle, please. Oh, okay. Um, well, it started uh, three years ago. Um, actually, we were both we were both teaching at a high school at that time, and then uh, COVID hit, and we kind of lost our jobs. <laughs> Well, before that, before that, it was in 2019, we had, um, we had actually been talking about becoming full-time RVers, you know, in retirement. And for Scott, that was about seven years in the future at that time. And then in 2019, we decided to take our grandson camping for a few weeks. So we went up, you know, into Montana. We went camping off-grid for a few weeks with our grandson. We came home and we said you know, maybe we should put the house on the market and see what happens because we figured with the market at the time, it was going to take a few years to sell our house. And, you know, so, you know, we just thought we'd get started on the process. And what wound up happening was our house sold three weeks after we put it on the market for a humongous profit that we weren't anticipating. So it's like, well, now we need something to live in. So we wound up buying an RV and we figured that we would just live in the RV park in our RV, get used to the lifestyle downsize over time and be ready to go when, you know, the magic 62, you know, 62nd birthday hit and then COVID hit instead. And we said, well, let's just screw it all and go now. And that's what we did. <laughs> right. Well, good for you guys. You know, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world, of course. It's a perfect time to do it. And wow, it sounds like it worked out yeah, perfectly. And, and because we were both teaching and performing arts, it was, you know, it was a change in our programs that neither one of us were really interested in. Basically, you know, we're too old for that. You know what? So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Sure. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah. So we uh, hooked up the uh, what I call the Squatch Mobile we have a, a truck that I've decked out for Bigfooting. Uh, it actually has infrared cameras all the way around it and a couple terabyte hard drive to record everything. And wow. it's, got, it's got its own solar system to power itself. So um, we could probably survive without the trailer just by being in the truck. Yeah, we could. But, uh, but so we, we hooked onto the trailer and decided to hit the road. We, uh, we bought a, a camping, um, what's it called, membership basically with a, with a, uh, a nationwide camping company that owns like 200 campgrounds across the United States. And we can stay for 21 days at a time for those for free uh, from now on for the rest of our lives. So we just go from park to park. And then when we get, if we get a lot of reports on our website in a certain area, we head that way. 
uh, and then we just camp out there and we can also go off into the woods and just stay too because our our rv um we can, be about, has, we can be out about two weeks completely off grid yeah if we've got sun enough sun for consistent solar yeah for power so yeah we can go with our water situation we can do about two weeks off grid excellent so when we get a lot of reports we just head to a certain area we've spent actually the last two summers in the north main woods uh following up on reports and then uh we've got to go to falk arkansas and do squatching there we've we've uh been to the sabine river in texas uh we've squashed in bluff creek bluff creek <laughs> we 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 went to uh northern uh washington uh, up in uh near leavenworth and uh we've oh gosh we've been all over we've been all over the south south carolina alabama uh, north carolina virginia we've we've been all over in the last two years and we kind of enjoy it oh yeah Wow, you guys are amazing. It's like you're kind of like scooping the gang a little bit, it sounds like to me. <laughs> it's awesome. So uh, what are some of the more memorable, the more noteworthy experiences you've had along the way? The first place you mentioned was Maine. What, what, what did you find in Maine? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, is Bigfoot related or just overall? Uh, well, well, you know, I meant Bigfoot related, but I'm I'm up to discuss the whole thing. Whatever. Maine, Maine was a happy accident um, because what you know at the beginning of uh, you know in 2020 when everything started shutting down, one of the things that happened was all the Bigfoot festivals that we were booked at shut down, and so you know that was like our income source for the summer. And I was like, well, crap, what do we do? And so we found through just a weird turn of events, we found um, a campground in northern Maine that was looking for work campers. And, you know, between our two skill sets, you know, it's like, well, gosh, you know, we we contacted them and they said, sure, come on out when we could use you. And so, you know, we we drove like mad to get to northern Maine Um because it was a free place to live and 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 there had been Bigfoot reports that we found in Maine. Um, but what was really funny and the and the reason we were interested in Maine to begin with is because that's where Scott's paternal family came from. And we'd always wanted to go and check it out. So when we got to the campground, we met some of the work campers there and through another weird turn of conversation and events, it turns out that they were cousins. Long, you know, cousins that that he never knew he had from family relations that he didn't know about, and and so that kind of started our love affair with Maine, and we wound up meeting probably a hundred relatives there, and and that brought us back for a second summer when we actually were able to peg Bigfoot activity in the campground. That's where we cast twenty-two inch footprints there. Um, we started getting footage, and uh, so I think Maine will be somewhere that we visit again. Yeah, uh, where we're at is near Mount Katahdin, which is the highest point in Maine, um, and there's a long native history there yeah. uh, in the North Maine woods. Maine is hard to squatch in because the trees, I, you know, I, I grew up in Oregon, and I thought Oregon had trees. Maine has trees. I mean, they have a 
thick amount of tree. I mean, their forest is dense. So you can only see like 10 or 15 feet into the forest because there's just so many trees. But um, but once we got the main, uh, there's one thing we have is our, our logo and stuff all over the truck. And every time we stop at a grocery store or a gas station, inevitably somebody will come up to me and uh, and tell me their Bigfoot story. Um, it happens a, a every, lot. Every time. Every time. I mean, I, I, we went in grocery shopping and come out and had a crowd standing around the truck waiting for us to come out and tell us their stories, uh, which is kind of neat. And then we do, uh, we also have done some uh, like those, like they did on Finding Bigfoot, the town hall meetings too. We do those in areas too when we get there. Uh, so we've got a lot of reports and I, and I use those reports to, uh, you know, pretty much triangulate. <laughs> you know, where, where the Bigfoot is. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You guys, uh, you guys really are doing it right. You, you're, you're, you're very thorough. And, and I, I think it's, I think it's amazing that you have, you know, so many people who are so enthusiastic to tell you their stories. I, I mean, there must be a quite a lot of activity in the areas that you visited in Maine. Oh yeah, I mean we've got we got tons of pictures of them. The first year we were there, oh gosh, we got a hundred reports probably in three months. Uh, you know, some of them are old. You know, years ago. You know, this happened to me stories, but um, some of them are pretty fresh. Um, and plus, uh, going out into the areas, you know, instead of you know, like spending one or two nights in the woods, I'll spend two or three weeks <laughs> kind of, you know, because I can. And uh, so we'll go out and, and really investigate an area. And uh, my Hannah talked about my cousin and I. <laughs> we went out and uh, we found a bunch of treetops that had been broken off and, and designed on the ground almost like a star. I And... Uh, we could not find where these treetops were ripped off. We could we could only found the the tops laying on the ground, but we could not find where they came from. So it must have been a long ways away. <laughs> I found some really interesting things. Yeah. Hmm. That is that is very incredible. And you know what? I just I just want to put the, put put our conversation on hold just for one moment, because okay. uh because I have a little something to uh to to say right now. Mirror mirror. On the wall, who is the fairest squatcher of them all? Well, if you've ever so much as glanced in the direction of a television, you know what an absurd question that is. The fairest squatcher of them all is, of course, a one James Bobo Fay, with whom you are thoroughly familiar from the cultural phenomenon that is finding Bigfoot on Animal Planet and, of course, now streaming on any number of platforms. Bobo has joined me as a guest before and has seen fit to join me today as my guest co-host, James Bobo Fay. Welcome back to Type 471. How you doing, brother? Thank you, Sam. I'm doing good. <laughs> You're a little far away. I can't even hear you. Oh, thank you, Sam. Good to be here. <laughs> There's the bubs. Can you guys hear them? Yep. All right, cool. Bobo just sat in. He just uh, he just came and joined us. So uh, so we're so we have a, another we have a fourth member of the conversation now. And Bobo and I are actually face to face. We're actually in the same room this time. So so uh, it's good to see that pretty mug of yours, Bobo. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So as you were saying, folks, I'm sorry to interrupt you. 
<laughs> well, as we were saying, um, no, we were talking about Maine. So yeah, we've spent we've spent two summers in Maine and in Vermont too, which is really close to where we were at. Um, I'm gonna say at, from our travels, you know, our our group is called Squatch America, and and we've we've actually collected Americans from all over the United States and joined our group. And uh, so we have a lot of yeah, amateur researchers that are out there. Lots of boots on the ground. Lots of boots on the ground that that are part of our group nationwide. And we had a gal in Vermont find some footprints last October. Uh, part, she's part of our group. And so we checked them out. Uh, we cast some prints. And we have found, actually, last October, uh, roughly 70 a trackway of 70 footprints. They're not very big. They're only like uh, uh, 13 and a half to 14 inches, but they're a cripple foot. We've found a second version of cripple foot last October in Vermont. Ooh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. What uh, What was, uh, can you describe the, the crippled foot or was it one foot? Was it both feet? It was only one foot. We've got, we've, we've cast both feet some of the it was in in sand along a riverbank uh so we've got a really good uh casting of one of the cripple foot was one of the one of the footprints was almost perfect it's got the two nodules on the side just like the cripple foot out of washington state and you know in, in 1969 right. um it's the opposite foot <laughs> from the original cripple foot so it's the right foot and uh I got to turn the cast over in my head to get it the right foot. Yeah, so right foot, and uh, and then the left foot is, is just a normal Bigfoot foot. But some of the prints from from the normal foot in the trackway, uh, we just got the heels and toes because the mid tarsal break was so deep. It only left prints on the heel and the toe, and nothing in the middle. But we we do got a really pristine. Uh, crippled foot cast. That is invaluable. That is incredibly incre- of incredible value. Now, it seems to me that those little nodules on the side, those little nubbins on the side that you that you describe, those are actually th- those highlight the mid tarsal break. Uh, th- that that shows us very clearly the mid tarsal break, does it not? Uh, yes, it does. Yeah. What's great is me being an anthropologist <laughs> and having to study, you know the bone structures and stuff you know as my job uh for years that really helped me when i saw that because i remember watching videos of grover Krantz talking about those nodules on the side and uh, and i've actually talked with uh jeff meldrum too about it and uh but uh when i saw that i was floored i was like oh yeah and you know if that was faked, it was faked by a podiatrist, you know. It's actually, <laughs> so. yeah, this cast, the cast that we got out of Vermont, actually, um, you know, quality-wise, it's a better cast than the one that came out of Bosburg. Yeah. It's so, it is so, I mean, the, the casting is so precise. You can see the musculature of the foot. You can, um, yeah. And there was even, this was absolutely gold. Yeah. Uh, there was even blood oh. on that that the cast picked up so so there was blood from the creature on it 
Yeah, there's there's little cuts in the toes and things, you know, like little droplets. When I put the cast under a microscope, I found uh, little blood droplets in there. Oh, and, that's, uh, that's amazing. We've, yeah, we've taken those samples. I haven't sent them off anywhere because I don't know where to send them. <laughs> but, <laughs> We're going to see Shelly Covington later this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Shelly Covington, Montana. She should be able to point the way for sure. Now, yeah. now that when, when you observed this trackway, uh, you must have seen how the crippled foot caused a, a sort of aberration in the in the gate. No. Yes. Yeah. In fact, there's there's a few of the footprints that when uh, when it set its foot down, it it, it kind of slid outward. Uh, a few times like it was like when it walked it was a normal uh I, I guess because of the foot when it would step when it would push off from the foot it would slide it would, it would instead of like normally you know you'd push forward this would push slightly to the side so a lot of the footprints were pushed out uh outwards from the from the foot mm. in some of the steps so mm. it was so it, it changed the way that it walked, basically, just because of the foot structure. Certainly. Uh, how how large did you say these these prints were again? They're, they're 13 and a half. Oh, okay. 13 and a half. Gotcha. Right. I, I could say 14 if I go around the corner of the foot, you know. Right. But just straight, it's, it's 13 and a half inches. That is incredibly interesting. Where can we see it? Where's the photo of it? Um, we've got the photos on our website. Uh, it's squatchamerica.com. We also have on our YouTube channel. We've got we've got a couple videos. Yeah, breaking it all down. Great. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna check that out immediately. Bobo and I are sharing a microphone today, so it's <laughs> okay. it's 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 a it's a little it's a little difficult to to you know we're we're just kind of figuring it out with the with the audio right now. So, right. but, uh, you know, just as long as everybody can hear everybody, it's just fine. So squatchamerica.com is the website, correct? Right. All right. Yep. Excellent. So you, uh, so where else? I mean, you've, you mentioned a number of places, Falk, Arkansas, you mentioned, uh, Bluff Creek. Uh, let's hear about uh -huh. some of your other experiences. Uh, probably the, the most of my other experiences where we actually found stuff. Now, we found nothing in Falk. We found nothing in Bluff Creek because that's 90% of squatching, I think. Sure. <laughs> but um, what we did, uh, we have found uh, footprints, several, actually, over the years. Probably over the last five years, we've found four sets of footprints uh, in the Tollgate area in Eastern Oregon in the Blue Mountains. Um, that's kind of the haunt where I grew up, so I know that territory really well. Uh, so we have we have found probably four sets of footprints there, you know, and which which is only probably where we found those are probably I would say 15 to 20 miles south as the crow flies from where the Freeman film was filmed, but you know, a whole lot of years later. <laughs> Sure, sure. And Scott, you mentioned to me before about native uh, about the discovery of some native artwork. Oh uh, yeah, that that's that's a, a new one. Like I said, that's that's kind of my expertise was in pictographs and stuff in in my anthropology uh, world. But I uh, just recently, uh, my squatching partner here in Eastern Oregon, ran across a pictograph. 
and he took some pictures of it. Now we don't have those up on the website yet because we're going back out this week to measure them and and actually do the, uh, you know, the the research work on them. So I haven't released that yet, but uh, but we he found a pictograph that is very close to the one in California that's uh, near Porterville. Uh, the Harriman Tui River? Yeah, yeah, the, the one that uh, Kathy Markowitz is, has worked on. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's very, very similar to that. Um, I haven't got the measurements and stuff of it yet, but we're going to be doing that this week. But this was found uh, in eastern Oregon near uh, just north of a town called Baker City. Hmm. Uh, it would be in the Nez Perce Indian Reservation area. Right. And uh, the one in California that you refer to is a very large, physically large piece of artwork depicting a Sasquatch family, seemingly, uh, right. I believe it is. Um, is uh, is the one that you found of a comparable size? I know you said you didn't do the, the measurements yet, but is it a, a large artwork or is it a small artwork? Uh, it, it's smaller. It, it's only uh, three or four feet tall. Uh, but what's next to it, it has two other symbols next to it. It has the, the, the Sasquatch-looking symbol, and then it has another symbol, which one I know, which means avoid this area, basically, it, it's a, and then it has a another like stick man figure, which is a warning sign that the natives use. So it basically says there's this big creature, avoid this area, danger. Wow. Yeah, very clearly. So, yeah. <laughs> In no uncertain terms. That, that, that's amazing. I, I cannot wait to see what comes of, of your, your further research and documentation. I can't wait to lay some lay my eyes on some pictures of this. Okay. <laughs> well, so uh, in in Eastern Oregon uh, now, what what are you guys up to? What are you guys up to in your most recent trip? <laughs> Do you want the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd like the truth. We're here to help his mother with some property work. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair enough. That, that, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but, yeah, but we're. We're also going to be doing some scratching. We've got some of our, our our group members are in the area. We're going to go out with them. Uh, we're actually laying the foundation for a Bigfoot Festival that we're going to do in Eastern Oregon here. It's going to be the Blue Mountain Bigfoot Festival, but that's going to happen uh, late September, mm -hmm. probably. Uh, that's one of the things we're working on here. Uh, but other than that, we're just collecting stories uh, <laughs> and going out. And following up on them. Well, actually, we're waiting for the snow to melt off the hill right now. <laughs> My squatching area has still got like three feet of snow in it. So, yeah, it's that tricky time of year. I'm I'm waiting for the snow to melt in in several of my spots uh, at back at home. Uh, you, you, is that time of year where you want to wait for the snow to melt and get in there right before everybody else gets in there? It's like you gotta you gotta just find the perfect timing, the perfect window of opportunity. Is is that the situation you guys find yourself in? Uh, yeah, it is. And and we had we had a really good day the last couple of days, and then it snowed last night where we're at, and I'm like, dang it. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we also just really need the moisture. So as much moisture as we yeah. can get, you know, but uh, but 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 I do hear you. It it, uh, it interferes with squatching. And you you guys mentioned, you know, you mentioned covid and, and the part that that played in your decision to do this right now. And it's I just wanted to point out how how I mean, obviously, we know how covid has impacted everything, you know, on on a global scale. But but it's 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 just so funny to come across little subtle ways that people wouldn't expect that COVID has had an impact, such as in squatching. Now, I uh, I am also familiar with other cases of uh, in which in which COVID has played a direct role in in Bigfoot activity in Bigfoot encounters. A, a friend of mine uh, went uh, up to a remote spot in his RV to wait out the pandemic uh, two summers ago. And uh, that instigated his his Sasquatch encounters. And the next summer, he brought me to the area, and we had some experiences up there as well. So it's just, you know, I just never would have thought, you know, something like COVID would have such an impact on on squatching. But it's just it's so interesting to me to to see the little subtle ways in which in which something like this can affect everything, including squatching, including our own interactions with with the Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah, we we found that too. Actually, it, it it's been kind of a double-edged sword. In in some cases, we went to certain areas, and like the Forest Service actually closed them, and we couldn't get there. Uh, that was one problem. Uh, but another problem, another thing we found that when we were in the like when we were up in the North Main Woods in the last two summers, and I think even when we were down in Falk, Arkansas, too last summer or last winter was that uh, a lot of people there was a lot more people in the woods because they didn't have anything else to do so that really ramped up actually reports that we got on our website uh and reports that we get you know directly when we do like our our town home pipe meetings and or when we got our truck parked in the parking lot <laughs> so uh we've got a lot Actually, I think we've got more reports since COVID, and I think that might have to do with some people, you know, with nothing else to do but go camping. Yeah, and um, and you know, these th- that's kind of interesting because I wonder what the presence of more people out in the woods. I wonder how the Sasquatch population responds to that. Now, obviously, I mean, there's some ways that. It seems likely that they will respond by retreating farther and farther into the the wilderness, um, but uh, it it just these these little subtle movements of society, these little cultural uh, changes, it, it seems can also have their equal and opposite reaction in the Sasquatch population. Bobo, do you have a do you have any insight to that in, that aspect of things in particular, like the way the way that the way that the little changes in human society can impact Sasquatch populations. What, what do you think? How do you think COVID is, gonna, is going to impact things between humans and Sasquatches? Assuming we don't transmit it to them. Right. <laughs> That'd be the biggest. Yeah. You know what? That's been my fear since day one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a fact. There's, there's like 250, 300% increase in people using, utilizing outdoor spaces since COVID started. So... There's obviously going to be a corresponding increase in Bigfoot sightings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, they, they, there will be. I just wonder what what do you? I just wonder what the Sasquatches themselves will do. I mean, because it, it seems to me that in in the past, like they've modified their own behavior based on people looking for them more. So people go to the same spot, so it's not like people are spread out and hiking up these sheer cliffs and places where a Bigfoot's going to be bedding down. Like I don't think we're, I don't think all these all these people are going to like parks and hiking trails and campgrounds. They're not like roughing it, exploring, like rappelling down cliffs and finding caves or overhangs where there could be a nesting site. Right. Good. Good point. And you know, you know what, that, that gives me a little bit of hope and a little bit of relief because I've, I've been, I've been very afraid of, of the, the repercussions that are to come, but, but you know, you're, you're right. So, I mean, there'll be changes maybe around the populated areas, right. but not so much, you know, in the, in the deeper areas, it won't like completely disrupt everything is, no. is, it's kind of is kind of what I get from what you're saying, and that's that's a comfort to me. There's just a lot more foot traffic, bike traffic, mm-hmm. car traffic. I mean, so there's going to be more road cross sightings, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. How, how do you guys feel about all that? Do you uh, do you do you feel? What What are your thoughts on this, folks? Well, well, there's there's one thing that I kind of noticed that yeah, we've got a lot more people, but like. Like Bobo was saying, I mean, these people are in campgrounds. They're not up in the mountains. <laughs> you know, they're going camping, and most of them are in, like, state campgrounds and stuff like that, more vacation camping instead of, like, up in the mountains. I mean, the, the real outdoors hikers and stuff, they probably haven't had more of those than usual, basically. But there's a really interesting thing that we kind of noticed in the last two years in the sightings that we get and reports we've been getting is that we noticed an uptick in rock throwing. Hmm. (laughs) So, so, uh, not much, but a little bit of an uptick. I mean, uh, in fact, we had, we had an experience ourselves in Maine, uh, of rocks being thrown at us. But, um, I wonder if that's just more of a warning you know, they're throwing out here and near you, near near us. They went over our heads. So, mm. how big? How big were the rocks? I don't know. Baseball size, softball size. Was it a barrage or like just like three or four? Just, just one. Yeah, went over our heads and hit the ground. But yeah. that's that's not exactly a pebble. That's a, a softball size <laughs> rock sailing over your head. Uh, I mean, just mm-hmm. just one of them kind of makes a point, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> wow, huh? Well, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, it's like a, it's like an exclamation point on the end, end of a sentence, you know? Uh, right. <laughs> wow, that's that's something else. I I want to go back to 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 something you guys said. I just I want to I want to kind of copy your style. Um, how do you guys organize your town hall meetings? Is it is it done entirely through your website? Yeah, well, one, we, we have a Facebook page and we post there, but uh, usually when we get into an area, um, we usually stay like in an area for at least a month, sometimes two. So we, we're we in the area for a while. So when we get to a, an area, we will find a place that... Be honest, we find a good pub. Well, okay, we find a good pub. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, They're the best places. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and we'll we'll set up the venue, you know. Get to know the owners, get, and they're usually actually really excited about hosting us. Yeah, 
and and then once we get that set up we uh uh we'll we'll set a date but it's usually you know a month out and then that way we gets us time to put up flyers around town and and you and normally we'll we'll have already have a contact in that area who's already kind of part of our our nationwide tribe (laughs) for lack of a better word and and they'll help us you know if we've got someone like that in the area they'll help us you know make those connections and and get things organized sure wow so so, and 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 we'll 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 talk with the local newspaper radio stations and and get on the air there and and promote it for about at least three or four weeks beforehand yeah and then that way we get a pretty good turnout and these little towns and we you know we we honestly we avoid metro areas to you know just don't even so so where we're going are little bergs out in the middle of nowhere and they're desperate for news yeah so it's it's you know we get really good coverage from local news outlets things like that that's excellent wow you guys have given me a lot of ideas. I think I should do this myself because, you know, I mean, I am aware of so many people who have these experiences and it's, it's difficult for them to share because of, I mean, I mean, there is, we are kind of reaching a critical mass. I feel where people are becoming more, more comfortable uh, speaking, particularly with the proliferation of my show in my own area, people are becoming aware of me and they're becoming much more comfortable speaking, which I think is just a huge positive thing. But still, there are still a lot of people who are afraid to speak up. And I think getting a bunch of people together in a town hall-like atmosphere would, would be a great way to get people to become more comfortable with sharing their experiences. Yes, and it's true. And where the libations are flowing, so are the stories. It's just <laughs> yeah. how it works. That's right. Lips loosen up, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and and another thing we do is we do, um, you, know, we, we, you know, I speak at a lot of Bigfoot festivals. Um, but, uh, we try to, we also set up booths and stuff at like local fairs and, uh, we just got done doing four, uh, sportsman shows, uh, up and down the Oregon coast in Northern California. We got a lot of stories, you know, just by sitting up a Bigfoot booth at the sportsman show, you know, we're sitting here with, with, you know hunting guides next to us <laughs> and stuff and people are in there you know and looking at the the trophy hunts and all that stuff and then uh they'll see a big uh, the, our bigfoot booth and come up and talk to us and you know we always we inevitably always got this guy that walks by our booth like six or seven times and uh, kind of waits until there's nobody there and then he'll walk up and talk to me a little bit and fill me out and to see if i'm going to make fun of him or not and then he'll tell me a story. And those are the ones that I, I really are interested in. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. So, so we, we try to stay out of the Bigfoot world, I guess we'd, we'd say so much and try to stay more in just the general public and try to get information from them that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I appreciate your approach. I, uh, I, I, definitely can it, i have it has its own parallel in, in my own approach as well that's that, that's great you guys are amazing and um i'm definitely getting some ideas from you so don't don't be too surprised when i copy you 
<laughs> good. Yeah. The highest form of flattery. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And you know what? I rarely copy anybody. So like, you know, I I'm I'm pretty much all original, but but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to copy you guys this time. So it's so it's even more flattering. It, 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 oh, great. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> sure. Well, we are reaching the bottom of the show. Is there anything in particular you guys really want to share? Like like what what uh what is prominent in your mind that you'd like to share today? Uh well, we just got some stuff coming up, I guess. We could we could pitch that a little bit. Um we are actually headed down to the Big Thicket area in Texas. We're going to be down there uh June and July. Uh, make our appearance at the Falk Monster Festival. Yeah, we're, um, we're going to be speaking at the Falk Monster Festival. And then uh, that's in June 18th. And then after that, we are headed to Tennessee and we're going to do some squatching in Tennessee. And we're actually going to be speaking at a Bigfoot Festival in August 27th. It is, it is the first annual, what's the, the first annual Eastern Tennessee Bigfoot Festival. It mm. is their they're very first. It's in Morristown, Tennessee, on August 28th. And let me tell you what, they have got an amazing slate of guests for that. Um, I'm absolutely amazed at the lineup of people they have, including the Turtle Man. <laughs> yeah, the Turtle Man. Yeah, I love that guy. I just talked to I just, the Turtle Man. <laughs> I just talked to Turtle Man the other day. He's he's out of the hospital now, but he almost got killed. Yes, he yeah, did. Yep. What so, happened to Turtle Man? A, he was, tree, a tree fell on him or yeah, a limb or something. A big, yep. big Widowmaker. Well, oh, yep. oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah, that's no good. Well, I'm glad he's doing better. I'm glad he's going to be up and about in time for the festival. Um, that's yep. a, well, yeah, Turtle Man, he's cool. Um, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. He's that's, a good, you know, you should take up with that guy in Tennessee because he is on him there. I mean, he is. He, he he actually goes to a place, it turned out, just by happenstance, my favorite place to go, per, like basically in the country, is uh, where Turtle Mountain stumbled on just like by randomness because he was visiting someone in that area. That's where he got hit in the chest with the rock and all that kind of stuff, with it through the rock and knocked him down the hill. The one that cracked his rib. Wow. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah. I'm I'm not personally familiar with that. Did, did you say or was it was it a Sasquatch that got yeah, him with like this a, rock? A softball sized yeah, rock yeah. just drilled him in the chest. Bam. Oh man. They're meaner in the south. Those, yeah, I tell you, people... Yeah, we've come to the conclusion that Bigfoots are meaner in the south than they are in the north. A lot of people have come to that conclusion. I haven't <laughs> I have not squatched in the south, so I I need to see this I need to compare and contrast for myself. Um that's that's so crazy. Why? Well, Why do you think they're so much meaner? Well, I, just from just if, if you want to completely humanize it, where are you going to be happier in the beautiful lush forests of the Pacific Northwest or the hot, humid swamps of the South? <laughs> yeah, where you have to find alligators and, and rattlesnakes. Yeah, I mean, it's cranky. They get shot at there more than anywhere else by far. Uh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, I yeah what... of course, you know, up here in the Pacific Northwest, there's, you know, the, the, the whole hunting culture is different than it is in the South anyway. Yeah. So, well, what are the differences in those cultures and those hunting cultures? They'll shoot anything. Like there's a lot of this, my family's been in this holler for 200 years. Anyone comes walking through, I'm going to blast them, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and of course out here in the West, it's been, it, it, it's, 
it's been gentled, <laughs> yeah. gentled and permitted and and taxed and <laughs> right. So, yeah, and and there again, we see the the subtle ways in which human culture can subtly impact the ways we interact with Sasquatches. In the South, yeah. we have much longer running roots. You know, we have people who are very tied to their land, and we have uh, we have very old tradition in the South, which is not not quite as old here in the Northwest. I mean, yeah, we have you know we've been around for a while, but. But uh, we don't have quite the same roots out here in the West, so so th- there there is that difference, and, th- and and that affects the mentality of the people. The people in the South, you know, they're 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 much more willing to shoot, as Bobo alluded to, and and not so much in the Pacific Northwest. You know, they're they're more hesitant to shoot at just anything. So that just those subtle differences in human culture inter- affect the way we interact with the Sasquatch population. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that and that kind of brings me to what our our group's purpose is. <laughs> Something I haven't talked about. Um, yeah, but three years ago, we well five years ago, we started uh, Blue Mountain Bigfoot Research, and then that's morphed into Squatch America now. Uh, we actually met Bobo at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival three years ago. I don't know if he remembers us. But, yeah, I remember you guys. Yeah, we had the the truck that, yep. with all the gear on it. Yeah, so awesome. uh, we got, yeah. yeah, we have even more gear now. We've even got more gear on it now. So, but um, but we uh, so you know, being a cultural anthropologist is what we've been doing for the last three years is trying to get as many stories as we can. So if your listeners can go to our website and submit their reports, that'd be great. Uh, we're not we're not trying to prove that Bigfoot exists because we know that and and we know that millions of people know that you know, but what we're trying to do is take the reports and I'm gonna and we use them to create a cultural narrative of the Bigfoot and what we're trying to do is trying to figure out their lifestyle, their the behavior their behavior patterns. patterns and stuff like that just from reports and being able to log all that and put it into basically an algorithm and try to figure out uh, their culture. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, that's, that's more my area of interest as well. The, the behavior, learning about the behavior and, and, you know, I'm very interested in the, the proof that will show people they exist um, simply for, you know, purposes of protection and education and things like that. But, and, and I'm happy to play a part in that for sure, whatever part I may play. Uh, but my own personal interest is is really about learning more about these beings. You know, their their patterns of behavior, just like you said. You know, and, and they they have language. So this tells me that they have history. Like, what have they what have they handed down over the generations, and how far back does this history go? I mean, my gosh. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You know, I um, I have a you now. This is just a theory. You know, that they they migrated with us you know, across the Bering Strait 10,000 years ago. And I, I think they avoid us because in the first, you know, 500 years of humans being on this continent, we wiped out four species of animals. So I think they avoid us because they know what we're like, basically. Um, but that's just a theory. But so, but I, I believe, you know, on, in my own personal research and my own, observations and and me actually seeing one you know i i think they're more human than we think i think they probably are 
um, a, a relic hominid. So their intelligence is, I think they're far smarter than we have given credit for. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I, you know, I see them, I personally see them as another being very much like us. The way I see it, we kind of all started out as the same basic idea. And then we applied Mm -hmm. ourselves to vastly different modes of living. And, uh, Obviously, this, you know, led us in very different directions. The Sasquatch has human-like intelligence applied to a very, very different lifestyle, which means yeah. that, that, that their intelligence, their cognition, while like mm-hmm. ours, is, is completely different than ours at the same time. So, I mean, coming back together and kind of comparing notes at this point in our respective journeys is just a fascinating idea to me. Yeah. Two two weeks ago on our YouTube channel, we spent a whole evening talking about um, how intelligence evolves, you know, and how it evolves to ensure survival in a particular in a particular context. So, so how did human how did human intelligence evolve? How might that you know what does that indicate? How did Sasquatch intelligence possibly evolve? So, yeah, yeah. And, and that's where I'm lucky being married to a psychologist. So, huh. uh-huh. yeah, it, the yeah. anthropologist and the psychologist. I mean, you, you're, you, you two are more of, a, more of a sociologist. Right. I, I never prescribe drugs to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, your skill sets complement one another and both of you together are a formidable squatch in force. Thanks. Well, thank you. Well, Scott and Hannah, we're we're at the bottom of the show. The website is squatchamerica.com. And and what's your YouTube channel called? Yeah, Squatch, Squatch America. America. Squatch yeah. America. All right. Easy enough. If you can remember Squatch America, then you can remember how to get a hold of Scott and Hannah Violet. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. So Scott and Hannah Violet, thank you so much for joining Bobo and I today on Type 471. Well, thank thank you. Thank you. Good talking to you guys again. Uh, (laughs) and it's been my pleasure to have you let's talk again soon okay all right folks you have a good evening good night bye-bye well that was fascinating bobo the 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 anthropologist the sociologist uh i love love getting the the behavioral aspect of of sasquatch that that particular perspective and those insights that's that's you know like i said that's my particular interest they're probably secretly writing books about each other's subculture (laughs) (laughs) each perspective the anthropologist and the sociologist probably that'd be an amazing book (laughs) or two amazing books. books yeah that'd be cool well, Bobo, I appreciate you sitting in with me today. Like I said, it's good to be in the same room with you this time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been cool. Those sweet dulcimer tones of the velvet-throated Sam. <laughs> yeah, and I'm about to deliver some sweetness to your ear holes right now. You ready for it? Yeah. All right, check this out. If you would like to be privy to the reckoning in consciousness that is Type 471, go immediately to your preferred podcast platform and follow the show. Rate Type 471. Give it as many or as few stars as you believe it deserves. Say your piece in the comments and share Type 471 with other people, like-minded people, people like you who can hear in my voice that I am deadly serious about delivering wondrous truths to you. So if you believe in what I'm attempting to do, Make sure everybody knows just how you feel about Type 4, 
1571. Finally, to share your own extraordinary experiences with me, email me at type471podcast at gmail.com. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471, Northern California and Southern Oregon's preferred provider of homegrown unknown. You be well, dear listener. I will speak to you next week.